Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. So today, the title of today's sermon is The Epitome of Love. Um, you can ignore the four verses four to eight portion. I meant to put the entire chapter. So it's first Corinthians 13, the entire chapter. Um, I believe it goes from chapter, yeah, verses, chapter 13, verses one through 13, in fact. So you can ignore the verses four through eight part. Um, so going on, first Corinthians simply reads, and this is the new American standard version. So Verse one starts off by saying this. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in parts and prophecy in parts. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so the core of the Bible is God's love. The center of the Bible has always been God's love. It was quite interesting enough, I got into a conversation with somebody on social media about the Bible. And what I found interesting is that this person truly believes that we are bounded by the law. And if you know the law, the law ain't just one simple law. The law is about 615 laws plus. You feel me? And the most important thing about the law is that God had told his people, the Israelites, to follow the law as to set them apart from everybody else. Because the rest of the world were doing things that was obscene and wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So the law is important and is is very distinctive to point out that the law was designed to let the Israelites know that they have a connection to God, that they have a relationship with God, and that if they did not follow the law, God had every reason to judge them. So the law is important. You know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. You know, those things are very, very important. And yet, In the midst of all that, the law does not determine our salvation, which is what the person who I was having a conversation about this with did not understand. But see, 
as emphasized in this first slide right here, that love has always been the key to who God is. You see, because the first two commandments of the law says, love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And in other translations, you'll say with all thy strength. And the second important part, the second law, is love thy neighbors as thyself. And Jesus had proclaimed this himself to sit there and say that the prophets and the law hang on these two commandments, which I find so interesting because it emphasizes law. I mean, love, I'm sorry. It emphasizes love in the first two commandments. So I find that interesting. And so in saying this, we'll reread verses one through three. Yep, one through three. That love isn't about the gifts. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse two, if I had the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. So this is Apostle Paul speaking to a specific church who was having trouble understanding what God really was all about. See, the Corinthian church was diving into not only secularity, but also having trouble trying to understand, you know, what the gospel really was all about. See, the gospel is all about love. The gospel has always been about love. The Bible has always been about love. When you look back at the Old Testament, what is the one thing God always teaches his people? That if you have faith in me, you will be okay. You have faith in me. If you love me like I have loved you, you will endure. So love isn't about prophecy. Love isn't about having all the knowledge in the world. Love isn't about all these possessions that you could possibly have. Love has always been a heart thing, not a physical thing. And Paul, the great apostle Paul, my favorite apostle, wants to make it clear that the significance of love is by emphasizing that without love, nothing else matters. Because love has never been about what you are able to do, but it's a matter about what you believe. It has been a matter about do you truly believe that God loves you so much that even if you had all these things, that without love, all these things did not matter anyway. Because God loves you flaws and benefits and all. He loves you for your qualities, sins and all. That's what love is all about. And the reason why this specific point is made by Paul, because especially during this day, it wasn't just that the Corinthian church were having trouble amongst themselves, but the Corinthian church were facing false teachers and false apostles, or shall I say super apostles, that went around claiming that they knew more than Paul, that they knew more than Peter, that they knew more than John. And they were teaching people that they had these special abilities, like the prophecies, you know, had faith that could move mountains, that they had all the knowledge in the world. They were trying to put emphasis on themselves, 
This is why Paul is making this distinction, because it's not a theological message of love that he's trying to say. But he's also pointing out the fact that, hey, all those things don't matter. Don't listen to them. Listen to the fact that God loves you. It's not about glorifying ourselves. It's about glorifying God. He's trying to help his people understand that these, quote unquote, super apostles are just people that are exaggerating their own abilities. And that Paul, at the end of the day, still states unequivocally that it's not about personal glory. That God is so great that the lesson that he is intended to show is that love is the foundation in which the Christian faith stands upon. And so we would continue on. We can continue on with about what love actually is from verses four to verses seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. Love does not keep an account of a wrong suffered or does not keep an account of wrongdoings in certain translations. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the reason why this is important is because we have to look at the scripture and ask ourselves, does this describe me? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we not jealous? Do we brag? Are we not arrogant? We have to ask ourselves these questions because that's what the Christian faith has always been about. It has never been about personal glory, as stated before. It has never been about personal ability, as stated before. It has always been about love. That's what Jesus is. Unfortunately, the world truly believes in some regards that the Christian faith is all about hatred. Or it's all about being forced to believe in who God is. And unfortunately for some of us, even as we being Christians, some of us have come from households that is rooted and saying, you have to go to church. You are forced to go to church. Coming from somebody that has personally experienced it, I hated it. Because I didn't understand what church was all about. All I knew was I had to dress up every single Sunday to go listen to a man talk about a message I did not understand at the age of four years old. I don't know who Jesus is. Stranger danger. Don't know who that man is. But Unfortunately, because of stuff like that, people believe that Christianity and that Jesus and God is something that, that is so forced upon that, unfortunately, Christianity has been used to persecute people. Christianity has been forced upon people. Christianity has been exploited from the opposite of love. It has been brought down to such a flawed systemic issue that people do not understand that love is not the qualities that are the opposite of what was previously mentioned. We should be patient. We should be kind because that's who God wants us to be because that's who God is himself. God has always been patient and kind. Even the scripture affirms that there are so many instances that God could wipe out human humanity. But by the grace he has upon us, 
he chooses not to do so because he loves us. And what's important about that specific set of verses is that, again, Paul is touching on his point previously about the super apostles trying to discount what love is. They did not exhibit traits of the type of love he was talking about. No, they wanted to be about themselves. They, they wasn't about the people. Which is sad. Because there are so many Christians who do the same thing that the super apostles do. There's some people out here who call themselves apostles. How are you an apostle when the apostles are dead? But people have these titles and they want people to be drawn by the title. They want people to focus on them and not God. Putting themselves on a pedestal that they shouldn't even be on. They have no right to be on such a pedestal. However, Paul wants to be very clear about what love is. It is everything that is mentioned in those four verses, regardless of one's accomplishments or talents. It is how Christians were able to withstand some of the persecution that were going on. Because let's not forget, during this time period as well, it's not just the super apostles that they're having trouble with, but they're also having trouble with society that's saying, why do you believe in this one God? Because this is in a Roman context. And Romans and Greeks and Gentiles all believed in all these different Greek gods and goddesses and different philosophies. And so the idea that we're putting our faith in one God, putting his faith that in order to be saved, you have to believe in who this God is and then walk with him, the invisible God at that. You want us to believe in that? So the church is also suffering not from within their own ranks, not from these super apostles, but they're also suffering from the secular world because the secular world does not understand. And because the secular world does not understand, they hate it. And because they hate it, they hate it on the intention that it's pulling people away from what they were founding to be normal, which is worshiping other gods, which is doing practices that is deemed sinful in the eyes of the Lord. But church, but Paul emphasizes that love helps, helps Christians endure so much. It hopes all things, endures all things, lasts forever. And how can love sit there and last forever? It is because in verse 8, Paul emphasizes that love never fails. And I find it, I also find it very, very interesting that within these verses, if you really read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's divided up into three separate sections. It talks about how you can have all these abilities but not have love and all that stuff means nothing. And then Paul also breaks down what love actually is. Love is patient, love is kind, and so forth. But what I find interesting is that after verse 7, the love never fails part is separate from all the other qualities of what love is. I find that so, to be so interesting. And in just three words, love never fails. And in some translations it says, Love never ends. I find that so interesting why Paul chose to separate that. Because as a writer, as a personal 
connection to this, as from a writer's perspective, I mean, when you try to separate certain things, you're trying to put emphasis on it. And I think Paul was trying to put emphasis as to how love is not all these abilities and how love are all these good things. And then it never fails. He's pointing out that God's love never fails. But love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. So Paul is emphasizing again previously in the first couple of verses of this chapter that prophecy, tongues, knowledge, all that doesn't matter because they're going to be gone anyway. They're only temporary. And verse 9, for we know in part and prophecy in part. And in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. What is Paul speaking about? Well, he's speaking about Jesus Christ. When he says, for we know in part and prophecy in part, he's specifically saying that we know who Jesus is, but we haven't reached his level of glory. We're not there with him yet. We know who he is through the prophets, through the apostles, the gospel itself. And those who believe in who he is, we are part of his fold, but we're not, we're not there at glory yet. We're just shy from that, but we are saved. Which is why in verse 11 he says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So Paul is emphasizing and foreshadowing what is to come. Right now, we are like children, but in the end, we will be full-grown adults. We will understand what glory truly is when our time has come to its end. This is what Paul is trying to point out, that everything that you have in this world, whether it be prophecies, tongues, knowledge, all that stuff doesn't matter at the end. That's only, that's only part of the grand story. The prophets were only part of the grand story. That's why the word emphasizes and clarifies that those who came before us never received the promise that was given to them, but they walked by faith and not by sight that the promise would be fulfilled in the end. So even in them, they had only partially received what was given to them, but they understood something or someone was coming and that something and or someone was Jesus Christ. And Paul, to touch on that point further, verse 12 says, For now, mirror dimly, oh, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So again, he's saying again, right now it's only a mirror. We can only, we can only imagine what heaven looks like. But then one day we will come face to face with Christ. One day we will come face to face with glory. For now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. I only know in part right now because I believe in who God is, because of what the Bible says God is, or who God is. I only know Christ because of the gospel. I only know Christ in part because my flesh will separate me from Christ every single day, but I'm with him eternally. So my flesh is not the determining factor. And touching back on my point about the law, this is why we are not bounded by law. 
because of Jesus Christ. Because the law, for all its worth, is only to reveal to us how sinful we are. This is not determining factor because of the law with the determining factor of us deserving grace and salvation. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve grace or salvation. The law is to show us this. But God does not judge us by the law. He judges us by our hearts, by our love in him, because he first loved us. And just retouching on what Paul was previously saying, that all those other things are just temporary. We're waiting for the day. We Christians are waiting for the day that Christ returns. That's why we shouldn't worry about all the problems that are going on in the world. That's why we shouldn't be worrying about how much, you know, things, how much things stress us out. Because when all things fail, love never does. When all things seem to be crashing all around us, love never crashes. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And then to conclude every portion of what he was trying to say, of what Paul was trying to say, how important love is, verse 13 ends off with, and I also find that interesting that verse 13 in itself is a separate line in certain translations. It's by itself. But now faith, hope, and love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, Paul emphasizes again once more why love is important. Why does he say love is the greatest of these things? Because God loved us. Because of the gospel. That is what the gospel is about. It is about love. That is what the Bible is about. It is about love. It has always been about love. It was never about the law. It was never about the prophecies. It was never about all the knowledge that they received. No, it was about following God. It was about loving God. That's why he created us. He created us because he loves us. Not because he needed us, but because he loved us. Because he wanted us to experience him. That's why I feel as though Paul is saying, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. Because love is the most powerful thing in the world. Quite interesting enough, and I know a lot of Christians are going to hate me for this, but Harry Potter, one of my favorite book series of all time, you feel me? If you look past all the craziness, the center of the story is love, surprisingly enough. When he has to beat the villain, he tells the villain, there's one thing that you will never experience, and that is love. And even in the books and in the movies, one of the most important characters in there says love is a mysterious but a powerful form of magic. Now, we know as Christians how that's a touchy subject, but I ain't going to get into all that. But the whole point was that the main character, the reason why he was able to survive a previous encounter with death 
was because love protected him. That's a significant part of the story. And then when you get to the last book and the last movie, it is through love that he was able to save everybody. And interesting enough, it's a sacrificial type of love that was able to save everybody. Does it not sound similar to Jesus Christ sacrificing himself on the cross to save everybody? Now, y'all need to go back and read Harry Potter. You feel me? But my point is, love is important. Without love, in all honesty, there is no law. There is nothing else to stand upon. There is no world, there is no us without God's love being the center of it all. Why is love the greatest compared to faith and hope? Because 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. My man's John. If you read 1 John, he stresses love so harshly that my man says, if you hate your brother, but do not have love, he might as well say you're not a Christian. That's how harsh my man's was about love, because he because he knew love was the key to everything when it comes to our faith. Matthew Chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, touches on the first two commandments that I mentioned before. Love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. These are the first two and greatest commandments. And the prophets, the law and the prophets hang on, on these two commandments. In John 3, 16, to me, the most important verse of all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you've been here before, you can understand why I love John 3.16 because it's not just a significant verse in itself describing what the gospel is. But if you really analyze John 3.16, it actually spells out the word gospel. So I do not think that's a coincidence that that is there. And finally... 1 Timothy 2.4, God's love is important because he wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So when you have someone sit there and say that God wants us to die, or why does God send people to hell? God ain't sending you to hell because he hates you. In fact, as the verse clarifies, God wants everybody to be saved, but he knows not everybody's going to choose him. So God ain't sending you to hell. He's giving you what you want. Hell is a separation from God, and there are people who are voluntarily separating themselves from God. So when you say to God, I do not want you, he says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. Why? Because he loves you. Isn't that an interesting way to look at it? And finally, to reemphasize love, I want to show a very famous person who expressed this. My man's Martin Luther King Jr. Very recently, I read his biography. And you know, Martin is better than me. Because when you hear some of the situations that black folk went through, especially in the South, they're getting pepper sprayed, they're getting dogs sent out on them, they're getting beat up. If you ever saw the movie Selma, it's a good idea. Because when they went on that bridge and they got beat up, 
and Martin Luther King looked at everybody and said, we got to do it again, that wouldn't have been me. I would have looked at Martin and said, yeah, okay. Let them hit me again. I'm swinging back. But the reason why I got my mans up here is because in all seriousness, his methodology was centered around love. And a lot of people that's my age will sit there and look at Martin and say, like, yo, that couldn't be me back in the day. That's why he wasn't born in that day. Because as you saw what happened in the Montgomery this year, somebody got cracked upside their head with a chair. You feel me? Martin Luther King said, you shouldn't have did that. This is not the 1960s, Martin. We can't, you know. But for real, for real, the reason why I have him up here is because his message was about love. And the reason why his message was about love was because Martin Luther King was a Christian. And it was a Christian love that he saw as the key to bring people together. Believe it or not, Malcolm X, of course, he's, his mindset was there's no way people can come together. We have to be about ourselves. And to some degree, Malcolm is kind of right. We have, we have a right to protect ourselves. We have a right to defend ourselves. But at the end of Malcolm X's life, by the time he died, he understood that maybe Martin Luther King was on to something. Because even though Malcolm X was a, a practicing Muslim, he truly believed that there was no way white folk and black folk could come together in unity until he went to Mecca. And when he returned, well, when he went to Mecca, he realized that there were other people practicing his faith that didn't look nothing like him. And then he opened up his eyes and realized, wow, we can come together. And so at the end of his life, Malcolm X actually went to Coretta Scott King and told her that I'm going to push all the white people that hate me towards your husband because your husband expresses a type of love that can bring people together. And I won't let them attack me for the sake of your husband so that way he can accomplish his goal. So the key here is love. God loves us. We love God. And in loving God, we should love each other. And in loving each other, we have to love our enemies. That's what Martin Luther King was trying to teach. He was trying to teach a, a Christ-centered love that says, despite you hating me for what I look like, I'm still going to hug you and love you because that's what God has called me to do. If you are a Christian, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, there's no reason you should hate me because of what I look like. <laughs> so in all these things, love never fails. Love is the key. Have faith in love, have faith in God, and you will endure through all things. And on that note, I end my sermon. <laughs> Amen.